You're listening to episode 38 of the Journey to Launch podcast. How to optimize your taxes and make the system work for you. T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. We are at episode 38, and this is another more technical interview. So the last two episodes, if you're all caught up, One was student loans, so conquering your student loans, tidbits about that, and just details. Last week's episode was about credit. Credit, how to improve it, how to use it, credit utilization, credit cards. Again, a technical episode. This is going to be another more technical episode because we're talking about taxes. It's tax time, so a lot of you guys have either done your taxes already, you were early birds, (laughs) You already filed and completed everything. Maybe you're still in the middle of doing them. Maybe you're like me and it's still not submitted. (laughs) But regardless, it's tax time. So it's really important, I think, to talk about taxes because this is a real, real important factor on your financial journey. Are you optimized with your taxes? Do you understand your taxes? Are you doing them yourself, which is fine especially if you have simple taxes and you understand it, or are you working with a professional and what should your professional know? What should your CPA or tax preparer be doing for you to make sure that you are getting the best return or you're making sure you're taking the best tax credits and optimizing everything you need to be tax efficient? And I actually wrote an article about this earlier in my blogging career, which was what, like two years ago, about why you should not want a tax refund, because I do believe that typically it was exciting for a lot of people. Maybe it's still exciting for you to get a tax refund because it seems like, wow, like I'm getting money from the government. I'm winning. But technically, it's really just money you are loaning to the government over the year at a 0% interest. And if you are getting money back, that means you're overpaying throughout the year. And so I wrote an article, which I'll link in the show notes about just why you shouldn't want a tax return back. And if you can figure out the right amount of withholdings and your exemptions, you can really get to that sweet spot where you either owe nothing. So you owe the government nothing and the government owes you nothing. So I believe And most tax professionals, if they really want you to optimize your finances, will tell you the goal is to get to zero. So today I'm bringing on Shane Mason to the podcast. He is a CPA, a CFP accountant and financial planner in New York City. He specializes in accounting, tax preparation and financial planning services for small and medium business owners, creatives, tech professionals, expatriates and foreign nationals living in the U.S., And I wanted to give a little backstory of how I met Shane. Shane is actually doing my taxes. So he's my CPA this year. And as you all know, or if you're just listening to me for the first time, 
I'm in the financial independence space, meaning my goal is to reach financial independence and retire quote unquote early, which that's a whole nother conversation about what retiring early means, but it really just means retiring from a corporate job. And so I was doing my taxes for the past couple of years. I had hired someone previously a couple of years ago, but I just didn't really feel like they really understood what we wanted to do. And they had made a mistake where it cost us like a few thousand dollars. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do my taxes myself. So for the last two years, I have been doing my taxes and I was using TurboTax. And for the most part, you know, my taxes aren't really that simple because we own our own home. And then at the time we were running our vending machine business My husband has a personal kind of training business that he does sometimes. And then we have the investment property in Dumbo. And then we have kids. There are just a lot of things going on with our taxes. But I thought that I would try to tackle it myself. And I thought TurboTax was good, a good walkthrough. So I thought I was doing it correctly. (laughs) But come to find out. So I hired Shane because I was like, you know what? I'm going to hire a professional. This is when it comes to talk about paying for things that are worth it and paying for professionals to help you do things that possibly you can't do or to show you a better way. And so I'm all about that now. Um, Instead of trying to save money necessarily that will end up costing me money, I'm all about investing in myself and making sure I'm doing the right things. So I decided, okay, I want to talk to a CPA in New York who understands just the personal finance space and the FI movement in general, because I wanted someone who could talk to me about, okay, your plan is to save and invest and do all these things and retire early. What should you be doing to optimize your taxes today, right now? And I wanted someone who understood that. And so I posted it in a couple of Facebook groups and his name came up a couple of times. So I called him and we had a great consultation and I said, you know what, I'm going to hire him. I want him to do my taxes. So let's see how this goes. And to make a long story short, we're still in the middle of our taxes. But come to find out, I made a couple mistakes over the past couple years when I was doing the taxes myself. And he picked up on that and he's working on amending those forms. So just like a lesson to anyone where I don't know everything and I don't pretend to know everything. And I surely don't know everything about taxes. So I was giving my best effort with the TurboTax stuff. But at the end of the day, I think this is why it is important to hire people who can help you, who know more than you do about whatever topic it is you're looking to get more into. Because I didn't even know I was missing out a couple thousand dollars of returns that I didn't file for correctly. And so he's going to try and mend that for us. So that's just a little background on Shane and how I basically came to know him. And he's now going to be doing my taxes. So hopefully this will be a budding, growing relationship going forward. And I will continue working with him next year and the years to come. But I really did enjoy our conversation. I knew I wanted to have him on the podcast because I thought that this would be a great topic, very timely to discuss with you guys right now. If you want any of the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 38. There you're going to get all the links that I discuss or Shane discuss in this episode. Also, as a quick reminder, if you are enjoying this podcast, please, if you listen in Apple Podcasts, go rate, review, and subscribe. I'm getting so many great reviews and feedback, and I just love hearing from you guys. So if you do listen in Apple Podcasts, do rate, review, and subscribe there because it does help 
when people want to come on the show or they look me up, that there are people who are listening. There are you, my journeyers, loving the content. So it adds more credibility and it validates the brand and what I'm doing. So I really would appreciate if you do that. Don't worry if you listen on an Android app or in an Android phone, totally fine. You can listen by going to journeytolaunch.com slash Android. And then the quick link to check it out on iTunes is journeytolaunch.com slash Apple pod. Don't forget, I have a private Facebook group. You should join that too if you want to connect some more. That's journeytolaunch.com slash community or just type in Journey to Launch in Facebook. So without further ado, let's talk to Shane. Oh, and don't forget, stick around for more announcements and more just special things going on at the end of the episode. All right, let's get into this conversation. Hey, Journeyers, I'm really excited for this episode because this is a topic that we all need to learn more about and become efficient in, and that's taxes. So I have Shane Mason, who is a CPA and tax wizard. Can I call you a wizard? <laughs> that's fine with me. I've been called that before. <laughs> to help us through taxes because it's tax season, it's tax time, and really, it's really important to get efficient with what we're doing with our taxes. So Shane is here to break down some stuff for us. And I want to just tell you, welcome to Journey to Launch, Shane. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Now, okay, so we can just jump right into the meat and then, you know, we'll get your background a bit as we go through it. But in terms of taxes, right? Why do we have to pay taxes? Let's start with that. That Maybe that can help because <laughs> there's so many people who get so annoyed. And I'll admit that I'm one of them when I see a check that I receive and the net is 40% less than the gross. So why do we pay taxes? What's the point? Yeah, well, you know, they're not very popular income taxes. It's one of the few things that you pay for where you don't really feel like you get anything in return for it, whether it's entertainment or any type of credit from society. It feels like you don't get anything for your contributions. But the point is, is that civilization has to run on something. So we have to throw money in the pot to accomplish goals that it doesn't make sense for individuals or corporations to handle on their own, like building roads, for example. Someone's got to build the roads, but you don't want exactly competition in road building or sewer digging, right? Because otherwise we'd have two highways that serve the same purpose running side by side. So for stuff like that, where it competition isn't a great idea, we got to have taxes. On a more esoteric level, you know, we've taxes are as old as civilization has been around. Everyone has been contributing to the pot, um, even back as, you know, you can call me crazy for this, but even as cavemen, we were contributing what we hunted into the pot. We split it up. You got your share. You, you didn't always get more than what you put in, but it was important for us to, as a society, all contribute. It's just that we use money these days. Mm -hmm, right. And I think what happens for a lot of people is like you said, it, you don't necessarily always see the direct benefit, especially if you live maybe somewhere where or you're in the situation where for you, you definitely feel like oh, the roads are bad. And, you know, there's all these things wrong with my government and local government. And so why am I paying taxes? But I thought it was just important to note because it is important to pay our share in society. But I think the problem comes in is when we're not being like efficient with our taxes. And that's why I wanted you on. Just some background on how we met. We hired someone to do our taxes a couple years ago and they made a mistake. And so when they made that mistake, I said, you know what, maybe I can just like do it myself because at least if I make that mistake, I can only blame myself. And so I took on the role of doing my taxes for a few years. 
And then as I got more along the journey of financial freedom and independence, I started to realize, well, you know what? Maybe this is not the best way for me to go about handling my taxes because there might be some things I'm missing out on and maybe I need to bring a professional in. So you were one of the people that I spoke to about just, okay, how could you possibly help me be more tax efficient? And I thought you did just a wonderful job talking to me, which is why I'm reaching out to you again to help my listeners because the next question I have for you, other than a little bit of your background, is why should someone think about hiring a tax professional versus doing their own taxes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's great to be on both sides of that coin, to do your own taxes and then to also have someone once you feel like you're overwhelmed with what's going on or you think there might be angles available that you're not taking advantage of to talk to an accountant. And I have no problems telling people that, look, your taxes are too easy to pay someone to do it unless you're just not a DIYer. And, you know, with taxes, it's a big expense that people incur. It's one of the biggest expenses that you will incur over your lifetime. So having an ally on your side to help explain it and assist you with it, I think is a really great idea. I talk to people that make hundreds of thousands of dollars in in business income that don't hire an accountant because they're worried about spending $500 to $1,000 when I know that I'm going to pay for myself five or six times over. I know that that's not the usual case, but an ally on your side can be really useful. And if that person can communicate to you what they're doing, and they should, with all of my clients, we have a summary meeting. Once I've prepared the return, we review it together and I explain what's actually happened. Most clients, when they come to me, didn't used to get that description and explanation, and they find it illuminating and really helpful. And if you realize that you can do it on your own, then go for it. An accountant should be honest with you about whether or not it requires their assistance or expertise to handle that type of thing or your situation. So that is something great to keep in mind. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you're just not a DIYer, I think it's a wonderful idea to have someone that you connect with to help explain to you this weird tax world, really complicated tax world. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think certain income levels, it doesn't make sense? So if maybe if you're like a lower to mid range income level, do you think it should be based on income or really just the complications in your taxes? Oh, yeah. Well, with income comes complications, right? More money, more problems. It used to be much more important until this new tax law, specifically for people that are itemizing their deductions to hire an accountant because an accountants are really useful in To answer your question directly, when somebody, there's a lot of deductions available to people, such as small business owners or freelancers or people that have rental properties where they need to know how depreciation works and how to maybe accelerate depreciation or really pick out deductions. That's when an accountant can pay for themselves and then some. When you have things that you're spending money on that you didn't realize that you could deduct, like if you're a small business owner, and you have a cell phone bill, it might not be 100% business, but a portion of that is related to business. So oftentimes when I onboard new clients that have been previously handling their own taxes and I look at maybe their rental income, they had an Airbnb and they didn't realize that they could deduct the furniture that they had contributed to that Airbnb because they'd already bought it for themselves personally. They didn't realize that they've contributed that into a business atmosphere and now it's deductible. So there's all kinds of little things that become available to people when they start a business or have rental income or deductions become important, like high income folks that will be itemizing their deductions, which is now a different story with the new tax law that we'll talk about later. 
Yeah, I definitely want to get into the new tax law because a lot of it for me still is that I don't completely understand. So that's going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the big thing that at least I do know of that I've learned along the journey is that at one point I used to be excited about a refund. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, like I'm going to get a refund. This is amazing. Then you know, I can do what I want with it. And I've learned obviously through just education and my path that that's not necessarily good. I mean, it's best to try to receive zero. Like you don't want to owe, but you don't want to necessarily have to receive a big refund. Can you talk about why and how that works? Yeah. Early on when people are just starting out their careers, they're usually really pumped for that refund, right? Because it's a surprise boost that they get that they weren't expecting, which psychologically is really enabling. But when you become savvier with your tax planning, you realize that, yeah, a big refund isn't a great idea. Why? I tell people that the IRS offers the worst savings account in the world, and it's called a refund because they don't pay interest on that money. Whereas if you had had it throughout the year, you could have invested it. It could be in a high interest savings account. That money could be earning you money. And that's called the time value of money because money in your pocket is worth more to you than money that you'll be receiving in the future. Right. So that's another good reason to hire an accountant, especially for high income individuals. If your refunds are quite large, five, ten thousand dollars because your withholding is so high, you can hire an accountant to help you reduce that refund, put that money in your pocket and then put it into a vehicle for earning money on itself. And as you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, compound interest, the more dollars you have in your pocket, the more fuel you have in your compound interest vehicle to generate wealth in the future. Now, so say someone is listening and they're like, okay, you know, they kind of missed about this tax season already because they're filing their taxes. What can they do for the start of this year to make sure or the start of the new tax season that they're accounting correctly for their withholdings? The IRS actually has a lot of tools for people like that. IRS isn't really a popular institution for a lot of reasons. So I don't I don't feel like their website gets a ton of traffic from your everyday consumer, but they actually have a withholding calculator that's free that you can go in. The interface is a little bit archaic and difficult to use, but if you've got a decent grasp on how withholding and allowances, you don't actually don't even need that. There's a lot of descriptions on the website. It's very helpful, but you can give them the information about your income, your current allowances. You'll need your latest pay stub in front of you. And if you have multiple jobs and some freelance income, it even accommodates for that. You'll have to be a little bit more savvy with your tax know-how. But there's an IRS withholding calculator. If you just Google IRS withholding calculator, it's an online calculator. It's totally free and it'll tell you how much or what to input on your W-4. People should be updating their W-4s regularly, especially if they're getting big refunds or they owe money when they file their tax returns. One of the easiest ways to prevent that from happening is to update their W-4 with their employer which will adjust the withholding that happens on their biweekly paycheck or you know monthly paycheck whenever they get paid. But a lot of people don't realize that they're in charge of their withholding through their day job. And you can turn in a new W-4 and adjust your withholding whenever you want to. Right. So you just go to HR and you tell them, hey, I've been over withholding throughout the year. Can you reduce my allowances or increase my allowances so that less is coming out of my paycheck because I think I'm going to get a big refund? They'll take care of that for you. And like you said, if some of this is just foreign to you and you just don't understand, you could take some time and some money to invest in maybe an accountant or somewhere to help you figure that out for yourself. Yeah, I don't want to say that a hundred times on the show. <laughs> you just hire an accountant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, 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 a lot of accountants will help you at an hourly rate to avoid that. 
if you're getting refunds of $10,000 a year, you could have earned, I don't know how much interest or dividends and interest on it. Does that come out to the cost of an accountant? Is that a free tax prep solution for you? You know, if it's the same cost, then, you know, you're netted out to zero and someone else has handled the arduous tax preparation process. And there's a CPA at the bottom of the return rather than the term self-prepared. So I think there's some value in that. Right. Is there a difference if you get audited more if it's self-prepared versus a CPA at the bottom of your tax return? You know, not really. No. Okay. Okay. The determination of when you get audited is mostly determined on how big your income is because the IRS is under strict budget constraints these days. This is the smallest the budget has ever been for the IRS. So they have to look at every return from a cost benefit analysis standpoint. So they have to get the most from the resources that they're provided from audits. So typically the most they can get from people is uh, the returns that are ripe for audit are ones that have high income because they have deductions that they can easily disallow and thus reap more benefits from those audits. So that's the biggest determining factor in when audits happen. Other factors are like if people have Schedule C's because they're freelancers, they know that those people are self-reporting their income. So when you self-report how much tax you want to pay, what's the inclination there? What's human nature there? Right. They're going to think you're not being honest or you're kind of game the system a bit. Yeah. You have the opportunity to. What are some common mistakes that people do make on their taxes that we can stop making today and going forward? The most common one I see is not taking sufficient deductions on freelance returns or Airbnb or Schedule E, people that have rental properties, just because they don't know what's available to them. A lot of people don't realize that they have deductions that are available to them, such as the furniture item that I mentioned earlier, or one that really hurts people is depreciation because it's a complicated calculation. I had a client recently that had not taken depreciation on two rental properties for 15 years because their brother had told him that It was a bad idea because when they ultimately sell the properties, they'll have to recapture that depreciation and pay a bigger gain. When in reality, it was he would have been paying less taxes over 10, 15 years. And that money, we talked about time value of money earlier, could have been invested in the market or could have been in a savings account or what have you used for day to day expenses. And he ended up having to file all types of updating paperwork, cost them a lot of money for me to fix everything because catching up with the IRS, they have to review all the depreciation schedules and it's pretty nasty. So doing it right the first time ends up saving you money in the long run. Now, how far can you go back? Like, so you said 10, 15 years, because I have a feeling that (laughs) I've made that mistake myself when I moved out and my primary residence at at a condo became my rental property. I do not remember in the beginning stages, even when I hired someone and I don't, maybe they just weren't the right person. I don't remember taking depreciation. So how far back can you go back to like fix that? Depreciation is kind of strange. So if you fix it within the first two years, you don't have to file any special paperwork. But after that, you have to file a special change of accounting method, which is a complicated document. But you can do that for 10, 15 years later, but you can't go back and amend the previous returns. You can only update it up to the current date. So you can amend the prior returns for depreciation, but you can get yourself on the right track and take a huge depreciation deduction on the current year return to get you square for the current year and running into the future. So that's a special rule for depreciation. 
But for normal amending of returns, if you realize a couple of years later that you should have taken a specific deduction or you just need to make a change that'll help you out, or even if you need to make a change that will make you pay more tax, but you want to make sure that you catch it before the IRS does and it'll cost you a lot of money and penalties and interest, it's better to disclose that before the IRS catches you. You have three years to amend a return and still claim a refund. It's 2018 now. So the earliest return that I could amend to claim a bigger refund would be a 2014 tax return. Now that's 2014 to 18. That sounds like four years, right? Well, the 2014 return wasn't due until April 15th of 2015. So you have three years from that date. So you still got about two and a half months to amend a 2014 return to get yourself square. And then 2015 and 16 rolls forward from there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, I also want to touch upon this because I get access a lot. Um, and this is these retirement accounts that we have access to. So some of us, if we work for a company, we have the 401k access and then we have our Roth IRA access. Just anyone can do that. So I get this question asked a lot that what's the ideal way to or the first account they should invest in? I know for my income level, it's best for me to first pile money into a pre-tax retirement account and then, of course, if I can do like a backdoor Roth IRA, I do that. But then there are some people where it makes more sense. Maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong to invest first in a Roth IRA because of their income. And then if there's more room, invest into a pre-tax retirement account. So can you just talk a little bit about what factors one should consider when deciding where to invest first, if the, it should be based on income or when they want to retire and things like that? Yeah, yeah, totally. This is a really common question. Because there's basically three options, right? And this is how I do the introduction to the three options. There's, there's three different types of accounts that vary in their liquidity. And the less liquid that they are, the more tax benefits they confer to you. So there's a normal account, which is the most liquid. You can cash that out at any time. There's a Roth account that's in the middle. And then there's tax deductible accounts, right? 401ks, traditional IRAs, SEP IRAs, solo 401ks. There's a lot of those. And then there are various types of accounts under each of those umbrellas. There's a Roth 401k, there's a regular Roth, et cetera. But then taxable accounts are the most liquid, but they have that tax drag that's preventing that wealth within that account from growing as quickly as it could in a tax-free environment because the tax is chipping away at the earnings within those accounts every year. And if you ever sell any of the investments within them, there could be capital gains that will be taxable as well. Roth accounts are in the middle where you've paid tax on the money already. It goes into the account, grows tax-free. Everyone knows the basics of that, but there are no required minimum distributions from the Roth, so that's wonderful. And then there's the tax-deductible accounts where you get that immediate tax break up front when you put the money in. There's your 401k and your IRA. That's really nice because it helps out the cash flow right now because you're paying less in tax, which everybody loves up front. But when you take the money out down the road, you have the tax event in the future. So those are the basics. And then I tell people you have to view it from two angles. There's not just the tax angle. There's the tax angle and then there's the flexibility available within the accounts as well because there's a lot of attributes in a Roth and a 401k, especially with people that are savvy with these types of accounts that they need to keep in mind. Especially with your early retirement folks, it makes the tax deductible accounts much more attractive even though there's supposedly less flexible. But to start with a tax view, and then we'll get to flexibility later, it basically comes down to your ability to predict what's going to happen with taxes in the future. 
And there's two elements of that. There is what Congress is going to do. And then there's what you're going to do. Are you going to earn enough money later on in your life? Are you going to increase your income to a point where you'll be paying higher taxes? So are you very ambitious? Are you going to increase your ability to earn money through climbing the corporate ladder or saving a ton of money that'll generate income in the future? That's a difficult thing to predict. And then even more difficult to predict is what Congress is going to do, right? So if you think that Congress will increase tax rates, then it makes more sense to have a Roth IRA because you will pay lower tax rates now than tax savings you'll get in the future, okay? And then vice versa. So it's a difficult road to go down to try to predict what's going to happen in the future. That's the tax side of things. The flexibility side of it is... Uh, more nuanced with a Roth IRA. If you think that you might need the money in the near future, but you still want to put it into a retirement account, you still have some extra cash now to put into a retirement account and you've got space for a Roth, I think it makes sense to put money into a Roth, especially with people that might be leaving their jobs in the near future and they're not sure, like they might be starting a small business once they leave their new job. They still have extra cash now, but they're not sure how that job will take off in the near future. Like if they're going to have enough money from their regular taxable accounts to supplement their income, then a Roth is kind of hedging their bets between a taxable account and a tax deferred 401k because the contributions that you make to a Roth, you can pull out without paying any income tax or penalties on those, no matter how old you are. So there's a little bit of flexibility available there. And then with the tax deferred accounts, the 401ks and the IRAs, especially with those that are savvy enough to retire early, they've saved up enough in their various accounts. They, of course, have access to the Roth conversion, which is the holy grail of, of retirement uh-huh. accounts. You got the deduction when you put the money in and then you never pay tax when you take the money out because you were able to convert it into a Roth over the period of your life where you are in very low income tax brackets, including a 0% bracket. I want to note that. So I know in the early retirement space and people who want to reach financial independence, the reason why they like to just funnel as much money into the pre-tax accounts is because this is what they believe their high income earning years are. They're hustling just like me, like I'm hustling, working hard, Mm -hmm. building my income, trying to make as much money as possible because let's say if I do in fact retire in five, 10 years, my income will be much lower because I'll be drawing down on my investments at that point. I won't be necessarily actively making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So in that case, that's why a lot of the early retirement financial independence folks prefer to funnel as much money into the pre-tax retirement accounts. And then obviously the best thing is to max them all out. There's two other things that I want to talk about. How much lower can tax rates go right now? Like the bottom tax bracket right now is 10%. The next one is 12. They have to be somewhere. And where we're at right now is one of the lowest tax brackets that we've ever had in America. So where can they go? How much lower can they go? And the other thing in the future, if they're going to be raised, it affects the Roth versus 401k calculation right now. But the other thing that we need to think about is state income taxes as well. In New York, for example, if you contribute to a 401k, you don't have to pay state income taxes on that money as well. New York City, there's 3% tax rate. New York State, there's 6%. So that's around 9, 10% of tax savings up front. If you were to leave New York in retirement or whenever you withdraw that money, that and you were to go to a state that's either a low low bracket or a 0% bracket, like 
Texas, Florida, Washington, Nevada, et cetera, then you would get a guaranteed return of 9% on that money that you've contributed. Everybody loves a guaranteed return, especially of 9%, right? That makes sense, which is why then people do tend to, once they do retire, move out of the high tax states to the lower tax or no tax states. Yeah, well, I, I just bring that up because a lot of calculators that you'll see online that will do the calculations, they'll use your federal marginal tax rate instead of the federal plus state. So think where it would lean towards Roth, you might want to lean heavier towards 401k if you're living in a high state income tax state. So so say someone is on the path and they want to start setting up a plan in which they want to retire early. In what way should they be investing differently? Because I know we are not going to get too deep into the conversion ladder, (laughs) but you want to be able to access your funds. So let's just say like for me, my husband and I, we were putting a lot of money into our pre-tax retirement accounts. And so at some point, if we want to access that before the standard age, we're going to need to access it and hopefully not pay a crazy amount of taxes. So is there something that people should start thinking about if they're more advanced journeyers, people who are further on the path of looking to do this in a few years, like do differently? Should they be looking at where they contribute at a different angle? Like you said, it's maybe you may you might answer this already. You said um, if you're looking like kind of leave your job or like a Roth IRA works really well because you get to access that money. So like, you know, you start maybe bridging that gap that way because you're going to need some income or you start maybe you have to forego the pre-tax and post-tax retirement stuff and do taxable because you still need money to live off of and you need to be able to access it sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, well, it depends on your expenses, right? There's a certain amount of money that you can distribute from a 401k that will be taxed at 0% because of your standard deductions and your itemized deductions or your itemized deductions and then any tax credits that you might have or if you own property that generates losses, et cetera. So it's on a case-by-case basis, but generally people that are going to retire early, I see the tax-deferred 401k as a much better option because you get the immediate arbitrage because you have been able to earn enough money early on in your life, which is, we're talking about people that are retiring early, then they have spiked in their income, right? In their 20s and 30s and 40s. So you're probably in a very high tax bracket. So if you get to play that game where you are in a very high tax bracket and you've been able to save in a tax deferred account and then you now have retired early so you can take distributions from those accounts at very low tax rates. And by distributions, I mean converting to a Roth and then take distributions. Or you can do a 72T distribution, which is basically annuitizing the distributions from those 401ks and IRAs over the next 10, 15 years, depending on how early you're retiring. So you get to play a lot of games with tax arbitrage where you're much more flexible and you have much more advantages tax-wise with 401ks and IRAs, uh, tax-deferred accounts than the tax-free or taxable accounts like Roths and normal taxable accounts. All right. Now, I want to talk about, about just the new tax changes and the tax code because obviously that's been the big thing and it's going to affect everyone. So can we just touch upon the high level like changes we all should be aware of and start thinking about and how it affects us? Yeah, yeah. Um, This is a pretty big law. They say that it's the biggest tax reform since the 1980s. Tax reform means that it will be an overhaul to basically how everything is calculated. There's more tax tweaks for individuals. Corporations got more of an overhaul where they used to be on a 
progressive tax system where the, there's different marginal tax rates, where now there's just a 21% tax rate for them. And they have repealed the alternative minimum tax, which is a whole different tax calculation. Whereas with individuals, it's much more tax tweaks. The bigger, the most common ones are there's changes or the most impactful ones are there's changes to the marginal tax brackets for the old ones were 10, 15, 25, 28, 33, 35, and 39.6. The Getting in the weeds on the actual numbers, they feel pretty arbitrary, actually. The new ones are 10, 12, 24, 32, 35, and 37. But at the end of the day, the way that the brackets work, the how wide they are and, and how their people are exposed to them, it's basically an overall small reduction in everyone's tax rates, which is great. People paying less taxes is wonderful. There's more money in their pockets. So some of the other big changes are related to families. There's a lot of minute changes, but the ones that are going to be most common are related to families. There is a removal of exemptions. There's no longer exemptions. They've expanded the standard deduction. So we're previously you and your spouse would each get a $6,300 standard deduction, and then you get exemptions for each of you as well, a $4,000, and then you get an exemption for each of your children. Now exemptions are totally gone, and the standard deduction has been expanded to kind of accommodate for that. But there is also new tax credits to help accommodate for the removal of the exemptions. And what I mean by accommodate for that is that if you and your wife or your spouse had many children, each one of those children exempted $4,000 of your income from taxation. So that's a big tax break. So if you get rid of the exemptions, you need something to accommodate for that. And how Congress has accommodated for that are these new tax credits, the qualifying child tax credits. So the old credit was $1,000 per child. That's under 17. The new tax credit is $2,000 per qualifying child. And that's under 18. So you get one more year uh, that credit. And $1,400 of it is refundable per qualifying child. So if you have no tax bill, the IRS will refund $1,400 of that to you. So that is more valuable than a non-refundable tax credit because you can pay zero income tax and they will give you money for having kids. Woohoo. The other great thing about that, the new tax credits is that the old phase-outs for them, which means that if you make too much money, they, you don't get access to them. The phase-outs, have, they've been adjusted so that people with higher income now have access to these child tax credits. So the old threshold was $110,000 where they were phased out. It's now $400,000 for people that are married. So you get people between $110,000 and $400,000 of income that didn't get access to this tax break now do have access to it. So that's great for families. Um, the one that is going to affect a lot of people as well, some other modifications that are going to affect a lot of people are the cap on itemized deductions. So this is one of the things that actually makes it easier for people to calculate their returns. I think this is going to kill some accounting jobs, which is wonderful. <laughs> Less people out there that our accountants can now go do other more productive things with their lives are, is the cap on itemized deductions. So this was the deductions that if they exceeded your standard deduction, you could itemize them, you could lay them out, and they would give you a big tax break. Congress said this is an area of the law that is just creating unneeded complexity. So we're going to double the standard deduction so that it is harder for itemized deductions to exceed the standard deduction. So people will just choose standard and just move on with their lives and not have to itemize their real estate taxes or keep track of their real estate taxes, their mortgage interest the state income taxes that they paid that were previously deductible. 
So that makes it easier for a lot of people to get a tax break without keeping track of all those expenses. But they still exist. It's just that it's harder for your itemized deductions to exceed your standard because there's limits on them now. There's now a $10,000 cap on the amount of state and local income taxes that you can deduct. So if you're making $300,000 a year and you're paying $30,000, let's say it's 10% state income tax rate, if you're in New York, California, and you paid $30,000 of state income taxes, you can only deduct 10,000 of them. So that doesn't exceed the $12,000 standard deduction. So it doesn't matter. You don't need to keep track of it. But if you also own a home, you have mortgage interest that's deductible, but they shrank the amount of your mortgage interest that is deductible. Where previously, if you had a mortgage of a million dollars, or if it was $3 million, you could deduct the interest on $1 million of that mortgage, which means that you would only be able to take a third of that $3 million mortgage interest of the mortgage interest on that mortgage. They've reduced the amount that's deductible down to $750,000. Small tweak, but it's still a constriction on the amount of itemized deductions that are available to people. I'm really getting in the weeds here and I feel like I've been going on for a while, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to hop in because so it seems like some there are some general changes that it will be helpful to some higher income people. But what about the talk that the tax reform is not beneficial to the more lower and middle class? Yeah, well, for low income people, there's there's a lot of low income people that do pay 0% federal income tax because if you only make $12,000 during the year, which a lot of people do. They subsist on however they subsist. But if you had $12,000 of income and you have a $12,000 standard deduction, then you have no taxable income. So you pay no federal tax. Now, you do make contributions to society through other ways like payroll taxes and, and sales taxes, et cetera. But yeah, there's not a huge benefit to you in lower tax rates when you're not paying any tax anyway, right? There are some things that help you out, like the earned income credit is a refundable credit that is basically money coming from the treasury to people that are working that have earned income, like the title is called. So that is basically the IRS giving you money to help you survive and supporting you because you are working and trying to make a living. There was no expansion of the earned income credit, which would have been one way to help out low-income people. I think the child tax credit expansion that I was just mentioning and it's now $2,000 and a lot of it is refundable. So even if you don't have any tax liabilities, they're going to help you out. I think that's one thing that gives a tax break to low-income folks. But yeah, at the end of the day, the, the tax breaks overwhelmingly favor high-income individuals. And I mean, my listeners, I feel like there's a range of their incomes and they're all aspiring to make more and to reach financial independence. But it's just something I wanted to note because at the end of the day, it's so important that you do find ways to increase your income. And then, like you said, a lot of these tax changes, even before the tax changes, we were talking about how much like deductions you can take if you have a business or if you have a rental property, how important it is to build assets so that you can take advantage of the tax uh, quote unquote loopholes and these advantages to become really tax efficient and do well for yourself. Because unfortunately, the less money you make, the less advantages, the less options you have. Yeah, yeah totally. One really great thing about the overhaul is most of my clients are freelancers that earn probably between 80000 and 250000 But the ones that earn under 157000 which is the majority of them now have access to this new deduction, which is called the Qualified Business Income Deduction. So this is that pass-through income break that we heard a lot of brouhaha about, that it's like maybe Trump is just trying to get this deduction in for his businesses specifically because they're pass-through entities. Anyone that holds real estate, it's usually through this pass-through entity. But at the end of the day, the deduction is available for sole proprietors as well. It's a 20% haircut 
on any income that you've earned through a business. So if you earned $100,000, $20,000 of that is not taxable, which is wonderful. There's a lot more to it than that. There's a limitation. And once you get above $157,000 of income, it starts to phase out and there's no wages. It starts to get limited. But for small business owners, this is a wonderful thing. And for people that are on the five path that have a small business and they're contributing the max of their 401k at work as well, and they're also doing SEP IRAs or what have you, just maximizing their contributions to their accounts, they now have this deduction that keeps more money in their pocket and still permitting them to make these great contributions these to their retirement accounts from their small businesses. So yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is some great information. You shared a wealth of knowledge that I'm sure people are taking notes or they're going to have to listen to again <laughs> to make sure they get everything. I know I'm going to have to listen to this more than once. I think this is a good place to end and ask people if they are interested in learning more about you and what you do, where they can find you. Yeah. I work in Brooklyn. I work in the New York City area, but I'm based in Brooklyn. You can find me at shanemasoncpa.com or you can email me shane at shanemasoncpa.com and we can schedule a call to get to know each other. If anyone has any tax questions or concerns, more explanations of what's going on with tax law, et cetera, I'd love to start the conversation. So and you mentioned the withholdings calculations and a lot of concepts. I'll have show notes to things in the show notes page for everyone so they can look that up and also have your contact information. You know, there was only one thing that I didn't mention that might be useful to some of your clients. Like anybody that has kids in private school, 529 plans are now available for private school tuition, not just college with the new tax laws. So whereas previously you could put money into a 529 plan, you get a tax deduction for it now if you're in a state that supports tax deductions for 529 plans. I know New York and New Jersey, have you'll get a tax deduction for it. You can now take distributions from the 529 and apply them to private school, like K through 12, as opposed to just college. So uh, where people currently have kids in private school, you put the money in. One tax hack that's available is you put the money in today you get a tax deduction for it. Two months later, you take the money out, give it to the private school for tuition. And then all you have done is put a 529 plan in between you and the private school and you get a tax break for it. That's a quick little tax act that might put $1,000 into a taxpayer's pocket every year for the next 15 years, however long kids are in school. Yeah, I did not know that. That's very helpful. And I want to also debunk the myth that you have to be very wealthy to send your kids to like a private school because my son He's going to Catholic school now. So we have to pay that tuition. And, you know, we make good money, but we're not like extremely wealthy. So I feel like that actually, that tip will be helpful for a lot of people. I know that's helpful for me. So I'm going to definitely look into that for myself. Yeah. And if you're not super high income, your kid is qualified for a scholarship for a private school, then there's an additional benefit to you there. Yeah. No, that's awesome to know. Thanks. I want to thank you so much again for coming on and just sharing this information about taxes because we all need to get better at it and understanding it. Yeah, I hear you. My pleasure, Jamila. Thanks for having me. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Shane. I know that I was going to have to listen to this one again, so you might want to listen again to this with a pen and paper I really like when I'm able to go into these topics. So the student loan debt, the credit cards or credit taxes. And there's so many more. There's so much more coming. I'm having an episode on HSAs, which is the ultimate, ultimate investment account, by the way. So excited about that. But I love talking about these topics. But I also realized that 
sometimes hearing it like on a podcast is great, but it's also hard to digest that information. And so this is why I am coming out with the membership program later on this year. And I mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast and that this right now is just opening up a list. I'm just taking names of people interested because I'll probably do a soft launch of just like people who will be in this community, journeyers from the beginning. If you join early on, it will be more of helping me build this community before I launch it to the general, general public. So this is a great opportunity if you want to learn more and get in early to get in because I will be having expert guest on diving deeper into topics where you'd be able to have workbooks and worksheets and kind of jot things down and learn through master classes. Then there'll be some group coaching calls and just extra additional resources for you in a membership community format, which I think would be excellent because as I grow it and scale it, it will be more affordable to have people be in this community than if I'm doing like one-on-one coaching sessions. So it's my way of being able to help more people. There's going to be more of that to come. And if you want, again, to get on that list, go to journeytolaunch.com slash membership. All you have to do is put in your email and name, and that lets me know that you're interested. And when I open just a soft launch for this, you'll be one of the first notified, and you can see if you want to join. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Once again, I really, really appreciate each and every one of you. You really don't understand. You keep me going. You keep me sane. This is all worth it when I hear that you love the content that you're learning, you're applying it to your life. It's amazing. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. But if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave that review. And again, episode show notes, journeytolaunch.com slash episode. 38. Remember, you can follow me on all social media. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as Journey to Launch. You can also join my private Facebook group at journeytolaunch.com slash community. And don't forget to share this with your family and friends, with your network, on your personal pages, or if you have a business page, share it. This is how we will grow and take over the world. (laughs) All right. So until next week, bye, journeyers. Journeyers.